Welcome to the Inside Texas Football YouTube channel powered by InsideTexas.com. I'm Joe Cook. Welcome to Wednesday Night Live. We've got Justin Wells, Drew Kelson, and Eric Naween. Thanks for hanging out with us. Make sure you like the video, subscribe to the channel because we got a lot of great stuff going on. No offseason here at Inside Texas Football. On today's show, we got a few different things to talk about, including Chris Gilbert heading back to Texas uh, in a reported role. Our Charlie Williams had heard similar stuff. Football Scoop reported it. The format for the 12-team college football playoff. Some more confirmed spring visitors who will be making their way to the 40 acres. Big names to know. And of course, 2026 recruiting at quarterback and an interesting position constantly under Steve Sarkeesian. So, Justin, how are you doing tonight? I'm lovely, Joe. I get to see you. I feel like I've seen you on my computer screen three or four other times today. So this is just more joy. Does, does the mustache get a little more full with every video? Hey, minute by minute, hour by hour. And uh, we got the I, I made it onto the on three national one today to talk to Andy Staples a little bit. So uh, the world was introduced to it, not just Texas fans, oh, but nice. uh, <laughs> it's true. supposed to have its own Twitter parody, parody Twitter account. So when that <laughs> happens, I mean, buddy, you're about to take off. We'll wait on that. Drew, thanks for joining us. How are you doing tonight? Doing awesome, man. Doing awesome. Doing awesome. Always good to catch up with you guys. Enjoy an hour with you guys, so let's do it. Well, the big news that we uh, – there's always big news at Inside Texas, but some of the news we heard today, uh, especially from our friends over at Football Scoop, John Bryce, made a report that Chris Gilbert, who is a, an associate tight ends coach – or excuse me, associate head coach at North Texas, tight ends coach, left Texas after the 2022 season to take on a role there, uh, reportedly is coming back to Texas. And like we mentioned – over on the Inside Texas Members Only message board, it's something we had heard similar about. Eric, Chris Gilbert's name kind of needs no introduction in the DFW Metroplex, but he's coming back in a very unique role, uh, reportedly something like a, an play, in the player personnel department with Brandon Harris. Well, he's going to be a soci- uh, special assistant to the head coach, I think is what it was. It was initially reported that he was assistant GM. Uh, it's since been changed to special uh, assistant to the head coach, so... I think he's going to be a go-between between, between uh, Sark and the in the personnel department. But yeah, this is big news. You know, I I tend to downplay uh, personnel guys, and I don't mean to do it. It's just there's a lot of really good ones out there. Uh, so there might be some losses here and there, but you know, they're not. You can replace them. You know, I think Glasscock did a good job, but it wasn't the end of the world. Losing Gilbert was a big deal because he does have ex- ex- uh, extensive relationships in DFW. Uh, he relates to all the different factions of the head coaches in high school, and they definitely have their little cliques. Uh, but most importantly, he's directly tied into that I-20 corridor. You know, he went to South Oak Cliff, uh, but he knows Duncanville. He knows he has the respect of all the Duncanville coaches, the South Oak Cliff coaches, the DeSoto coaches. Um, this, is a, this is a guy that actually does some recruiting via phone. He can't do recruiting in person unless they come to campus. Uh, but he's a, he, he makes an exceptional introduction to the, to the program. He gives the program instant credibility with a lot of people. Uh, and it's big news that he's coming back. Justin, Chris Gilbert was someone not only liked in, in the DFW corridor, but uh, when he was at Texas, he was pretty darn well liked in the locker room as well. So there's there's a positive aspect of him coming back in that regard too, correct? Yeah, like Chris Gilbert was a what we call a home run hire, and and a lot of times that that you can't that, that name that tag gets you overused. 
but he really was just because of his connections. You know, he was at Lancaster for years. Uh, you know, I, I remember meeting him during the Omar Manning recruitment, and the guy just could not have been more nice and gracious and, and just helpful. And, you know, sometimes we don't give these guys enough credit. Like Eric said, there's a lot of good ones in the business. But, Joe, don't get it twisted. Chris Gilbert was integral in the in getting Anthony Hill. Junior, like that's a fact. I understand that 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 the staff had a lot to do with it as well, Sark and the trajectory. But let me tell you something: Chris Gilbert had a lot to do with it. He has a lot. He has his hands on a lot of those guys in, in DFW, but it's also statewide. He's built a, he's built a, a nice region in, in Central Texas. He does well in the Houston area. If you get to know Chris, you feel like you know a Texas high school football coach who's there to help kids. And it's his his connections. They they haven't been duplicated since he left. I understand. He only does it in a relations role, but this guy was responsible for some of the big signees this program has seen over the last year or two. That was one of the, it was actually the first spring game I think I ever covered uh, after doing this uh, job live or for uh, full time was uh, Lancaster back when they had Nick Harvey and Deshaun Hall. Deshaun Hall was a one time uh, yeah. to Texas and Nick Harvey was the target in the 2014 cycle, but I was there in like 2012 uh, checking them out and it was lively. That, that spring game was awesome. It was, High intensity. They had, you know, little Wayne instrumentals playing the background the full time. Uh, I, I, that, I fell in love with that program that day. And, and Chris Gilbert, you know, he was always a, a great host when guys like us came around. That's very exciting to have him back. Good hire from Harkett. Sarkett couldn't have gotten any better getting him, him back in the fold. So we got a question in, and I think uh, it's about a recruit that, that uh, Chris Gilbert had a pretty big role in, at least setting up in the start. Uh, but, of course, Steve Sarkeesian got to the finish line realistic expectations for Colin Simmons this year and then who makes a sweat Murphy type jump for either offense or defense Brett Nelson thank you for the question realistic expectations for Simmons Eric I know it's probably at that buck position but what else do you expect to see from the five star from Duncanville well I'd love to get Drew's thoughts on that but you know part of it I think is going to uh, depend on how, how great Trey Moore is um, if they put a timeshare with Trey Moore and Colin Simmons, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Simmons had six sacks. Didn't, didn't Anthony Hill have five and a half, six sacks this year? Uh, wouldn't surprise me at all if Simmons had six and a half, maybe even more than that. Uh, but I, I, you know, it's going to depend on on Trey Moore as much as Colin. But Drew, what are your thoughts on that? Especially with you know being a true freshman, uh, you, you know, there's a lot of pressure on him just being so highly rated. Uh, but he's also got a lot of talent too. Well, I think any true freshman or any great pass rusher you can play them in limited snaps and you can play them on known pass rushing downs. Right. Uh, if he has a, so even if he has a package where they know it's a passing down, they know he can get after it. I think a player with his skill set, especially with off season development, will, will be able to impact games in a way, just even if it's in passing packages. So um, he definitely has a skill set, but I also think it's really helpful for players to see a guy like a Trey Moore come in has a completely different set of skills or at least the way he uses his skills he doesn't he's not the same physical specimen that colin simmons will ultimately be but when you get to see other players dominate or other players put their skills together and you're a young player and you have a specific package that that you know you can get after it hopefully his natural talent gets a chance to shine uh, in a limited role until he's really fully developed and ready to contribute on a more consistent basis we can definitely use him good hey that reminds me, I'm not comparing him to Derek Johnson. I'm not saying he's going to be Derek Johnson. But isn't that the same thing he did as a freshman? Isn't that the same sort of – he had a package of plays that he would come in on certain downs, especially when y'all had the lead. 
Is there a little similarity in that? Do you see kind of a, a, a realistic growth that on in that path? There, there's nothing you can do with Derek Johnson's skill set. If you put him in a position in the middle of the field and tell him run sideline to sideline at his position at his time, and he was in a position where he could take advantage of that, he would do it. I mean, he could do it. It was a matter of learning the nuances. I think we'll see the same thing here with Colin Simmons. Um, they can know he's coming. Um, they can know what he's about. But when they know he's coming, that's not enough. Who stood out to me most with that was a player who was young. And I remember we tried to play him at linebacker. And it was just like, I think one of his high school coaches said, we'd rather see him going forward than going backwards and backpedaling. It's Sergio Kendall. You didn't yeah. have to – you could know he's lined up. You didn't matter. When you, that guy got in, when he was in special package, when he was rushing when he was rushing the passer, there's nothing anybody could do about it. So uh, Colin Simmons is a special talent, and hopefully we can get some packages together to where we'll allow him to shine early while he learns to develop and learn the nuances of the game. Yeah, the better he plays the run, the more he's going to be on the field too, and you don't have to worry about packages as much. So I, I keep saying let's see how he plays the run. To the second question, who makes a Sweat Murphy-type jump? Well, you know, I mean, uh, last year we had a lot of – we had the aid of uh, spring ball and then we had the aid of August ball to really kind of uh, – you know, we weren't – we knew that Sweat and Murphy were going to be good this year. We didn't know they were going to be that damn good. Nobody knew they were going to be that good, and even even Sweat and Murphy are the coaches. Uh, but it wasn't a total surprise they played well. Um, now, before spring ball, it's a little bit tougher to make that assessment. A guy I thought – I forgot to mention the other day as a potential breakout on Inside Texas is Tia Savea. And, and a lot of that is opportunity knocking with the departures of Sweat and Murphy. Opportunity is a big part of it. But he's a physically mature guy. He's got some athleticism, and he played very well in the second half of the last season for Arizona. Obviously, Johnny Nansen's going to give him a, you know, give him a fair shake and uh, you know, sing his praises to the, to the coaching staff. Uh, and he's also – I think Justin reported that he's working extremely hard and he's all, he's all business-like. So Tia Savea might be one to watch. Uh, but ultimately, you know, that's why you fall inside Texas. We're going to have, and Brett, I know you do, we're going to have that, we're going to have those answers and provide a lot of clarity throughout spring ball for sure. I've got an idea for maybe one on offense, uh, maybe Amari Nyblack. You know, this is someone who had some some really good traits at Alabama and made great use of them, uh, but he may not have been as prolific as someone like Jatavian Sanders. Now he's entering the same Offense Jatavian Sanders was in. Gunnar Helm is still there. Malik Ogbo could factor at that big tight end. I feel like Amari Nyblack with a good uh, contingent of wide receivers around him, maybe someone someone else who could have that type of jump to where, you know, I, I think most people kind of look at Amari Nyblack and see the athleticism think, yeah, that, that's someone that's going to get drafted. But I think he has a chance to maybe make a, a jump into the, you know, Jatavian Sanders in that top 50, top 75 range over the course. So it, a lot of it comes down to effort. That's what it was with, with sweat. <clears throat> you know, when we look back about this time last year was, man, he's great, but it's only when that motor's on. Doesn't sound like there's ever been that concern with Nyblack, but as far as that jump from on the radar to, whoa, this guy's going to be a great pro prospect. That's kind of the guy I, I look at. Let's get to a couple of their comments here. Uh, they didn't ask questions, but there's definitely a sounding board on the side over here. I like this one. I'm stoked for Bledsoe this year. Curious what y'all have heard so far during workouts. Yeah, I mean, so, well, Charlie our Charlie Williams was out there uh, at the workout with Murphy and Sweat and uh, Ryan Watts yesterday. And Byron Murphy said, you know, Alfred Collins and Vernon Broughton, they're good players. They're going to be good next year. But the guy that really excites him is Jure Bledsoe. They said he's super athletic and super physical. And that's two things we just wrote uh, a couple weeks ago, actually, about, about Bledsoe. So everybody's stoked for Bledsoe. 
I, I think he's I think he's a lock to be a good player this year. It's finally his time again. If opportunities knocking for him. We got another one over here, Sadir Mitchell. I don't know if it's going to be a huge jump just because he's got a, a long way to go as far as reshaping his body, building his stamina. Uh, but eventually he's going to be a good player. I, you know, I just don't I don't know if he's going to make a big jump and be a star this year. I think he's going to be a good role player this year and then be a star in 2025. Anybody else have thoughts on that? When yeah, he I sees think- Murphy and or Sweat walk across the stage, to me, that's a little added motivation at 5.45 a.m. when you got to get up for, for those winter conditioning and, and get your classroom stuff. That's just me, though. See, I, I think I don't want people to forget Sweat. I mean, he was a fifth-year senior. Right. It took, it took a while to get in shape, to get conditioned, to get to the point where you could play that many quality snaps. Whereas Byron Murphy, he was the strongest guy on the team from the day he stepped foot on campus. He just got better and better and better and more consistent, and you couldn't keep him off the field. So we're talking about two great players who right. picked in different ways. Sadir Mitchell's probably on that sweat trajectory more so than the than the Byron Murphy trajectory, if anything else. But the, the one player who stands out to me, and it's hard for me to ignore, one from the standpoint is we need him to be great this year, and I think we can't undervalue how great um, this position was for us last year. But Jaden Blue is one we're going to need to be top running back in the country type level of, of potential and not just running the ball, catching the ball out of the backfield, being a threat in so many different ways. Uh, he's an explosive player, a home run hitter. Um, and we saw enough snaps from him and we saw enough snaps from, from just the backfield as a whole last year. I think we were all running far better when our running game uh, was, was, was clicking on all cylinders and more specifically when we had those explosive plays to go with it. So I both think it needs to be Jaden Blue, but I also think it will be Jaden Blue. Uh, and, and Sark's going to find a way to get him in position to get some explosive plays for his next season. Well, let's, let's get Des. Let's help Des Garrett sleep at night because I don't think it's that big of a he's, deal. He's been up. He's been up a while. <laughs> oh man, I wouldn't. I wouldn't lose any sleep over this. First of all, they got a lot of options, uh, and so something's going to materialize. And options lead to competition. Competition leads to everybody improving. Uh, so they're already they're off to a decent start there. You got Blackshear, who's capable of starting at Alabama. He was passed up by elite Alabama talent, um, but he was he's, he belongs on the Alabama roster. He's not out of place at Alabama. He's got experience. He knows the conference. Uh, he's going to help uh, provide some size and strength uh, in the absence of Murphy and Sweat. Uh, Benda, I thought, played pretty well last year, especially towards the the second half of the season. He, you know, he had a couple games where he was an absolute star. Um, uh, forget which one. There was one game where he was just, you know, pretty damn dominant. Uh, and then you got Maurice Blackwell as well. Uh, and then you've got Leonga LaFau. What if Leonga LaFau plays middle linebacker? You could always move Hill back over to Will. Uh, there's a lot of different combinations you can go with. I, you know, and I think I think they're going to get good coaching. Johnny Nansen knows, knows what he's doing back there. Uh, and, the, you know, those guys have experience too. I think one of the things about Leonga LaFau that was most exciting when watching his film is you may not ever get an idea of – quality of opponent uh, especially when we're sitting over here on the lower 48 and talking about Hawaii football uh, but at the same time you can look in Leongo LaFowle's film and see him going forward and backward and in modern football you have to be able to drop into coverage and play the pass from that linebacker spot it's why Jalen Ford is probably going to get drafted but Leongo LaFowle did that he, he earned a lot of respect I feel like uh, on the special teams unit last year for his play. Mamie did not see as many, as much conventional time as he would have liked during his freshman year, but he still saw a lot of action and 
I think set himself up really well. We'll just keep going through the uh, the linebacker. Well, we should, we should probably mention Samaje Barab. I'm sorry, I don't want to cut you off, but I, I'm over here feeling guilty for not not giving him any love. Um, you know, Samaje did not enroll early like like a lot of the other linebackers did. So he was a little bit behind when he got there. Had a rough summer as far as acclimating. That's a tough time to show up uh, to to college football in the summer. It's hot out there. Um, so he had a period where he had to adapt, but he started to really come on in the fall. And you know, I think he he might make a little noise this spring, or at least be ready to play next season they're gonna have pretty pretty decent depth that that starter spot's gonna sort itself out hey we don't call him choke the goat for no reason after that uh that class that he brought in right so i can see burrell on special teams too kind of the way blackwell you know kind of trended up into into a role on the defense i I could definitely see that it's a great way to earn your stripes for sure and uh, a lot i mean jelani mcdonald did it i mean i know he's going to auburn and uh, the others going to Nevada, but Jaron Thompson and Keaton Crawford did it too. So it seems like it's the way for them to to continue on. As far as uh, Galette, we didn't get to Galette there. Let's let's do Galette because I love talking yeah. about Barry and Galette. Uh, Galette, they're going to probably give him a, a fairly simplified role or something to, uh, to keep him singularly focused at Sam, I believe is what's going to happen. Um, you know, what we hear, he's still a freak after the injury. Uh, he, he seems to have healed well from that. I haven't laid my own eyes on that. I prefer to have my own. Uh, I prefer to make my own assessments on guys coming back from injury. Uh, but by all, all accounts we've heard is, is he's come back well from the injury. We've, we put a, we've asked a couple of sources that question. He is big and can move, uh, strong at the point of attack and a hell of an athlete. So I think he would add a, a pretty interesting pass rushing dimension and maybe pl- even play the point of attack pretty strong, uh, even though he's young from that Sam linebacker. But I don't expect to see him playing you know, necessarily off ball and, and making plays sideline to sideline. Uh, but seeing him walked up like Jet Bush did last year, I, th- I wouldn't be surprised by that. I think, I think it's a good go ahead. And, and, and all of this at the linebacker position is we, we we have a good sense of what our floor should be based on the experience we have coming back with Benda and Hill and 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 um, and goodness Mo Blackwell. Uh, but I don't I can't understate the combination of offseason development that goes into it physical development, understanding the game, and just that hunger that comes with knowing like last year was close. And most of these guys, they weren't the guys in the mix. They weren't the guys that were leading the team. They weren't the guys who were making the plays. It's just different when you have a shot at these types of roles at a school like this, man. Um, it's going to be a battle for those for those linebacker positions. So I, I wouldn't be shocked if, if, if there are guys who we are not expecting that are going to be making flashes, not just this spring, but going into August. Because it's it's open, it's really wide open right now, and and I really there's there's some hunger guys there. I keep hearing about guys getting after it. There's so much that goes into this offseason. Um, we're going to be surprised with some of the some of the talent we see get far better by the time fall comes around. Absolutely, Drew, you were able to be on, on teams that competed at the highest level of college football back when you were competing and on the field. Only two teams could make basically contend for the national championship once the season is done that is a little bit different now and we learn more about the format on on tuesday with the college football playoff selection committee going to the five seven so seven at large bids five automatic bids basically coming from the power four and one from the group of five it's been a long time and a lot of change since that uh 2005 one versus two obviously but what are your thoughts on the the evolution of the playoff and especially the the form that it, it changed to the other day? In general, I'm just I was trying not to overreact to it, even when the news first came out a few years ago that this was a possibility. 
Uh, but now that I know the format, you know, as a coach, as a player, you just want to like sharpen your focus, sharpen the focus of your goals, sharpen the focus of well, what do we need to be thinking about? So at the end of the day, you still want to be a top four team. You still want to win your conference championship uh, because if you're a top four team, you're usually a top four roster. Uh, you usually you get a bye week. Uh, you've won your you've won your 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 conference championship. So you're sitting and waiting on a team that is inherently inferior to play the next week. So you just want to be in a position where you one of those top teams, you're getting the bye week. And in order to do so, you got to win your conference championship. So I think Texas's goals are still the same specific to that. And, you know, beyond that, it'll just be fun football. It'll just be fun to watch a 12 play a five and an 11 play a six and see how all those shake out. But I do think uh, we'd much rather be one of the top four teams winning our conference uh, than one of the teams who are just fighting for that extra opportunity to get in the mix. Uh, we should always have a roster that puts us in the mix, uh, but hopefully we're just in the best position to, 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 to be able to take advantage of it. Uh, Cause I, ultimately I do think one of the top four teams, maybe fifth or sixth, maybe will be the team that wins it all uh, in this format, just because there's still so many advantages for the top four teams uh, that, 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 that just are inherent to the way this will be set up, but it, it'll be fun to watch. Yeah, I agree completely about there. I'm glad that they did incentivize winning your conference because mm -hmm. that's that's a key aspect of college football. And I I like the fact that that's going to continue even as the sport changes. Uh, but something I brought up on, on Inside Texas today is, yeah, being in those top four spots are, are pretty darn good. But it's almost just in it's almost advantageous to maybe be in that fifth spot because Basically, nine years out of 10, and granted, this is only a two-year format that we know of, and it could even expand further, uh, but odds are that the, the team, a number five seed, is going to get at home in December is going to come from the group of five ranks. So, Drew, you're right. There's a lot of incentive to, to make that, to be the top four, to get that by, to be the highest-rated conference champion. But, Justin, it's almost like there's an incentive to maybe get that five seed and get all the benefits that come from, yeah, you have to play an extra game, but you also get the weakest team and can start rolling into the next round of the playoffs. I think you've been talking to Ian Boyd too much because I feel like that's his point of – becoming his point of view as well. Um, I'm with I'm with Drew. Narrow it down. Coaches want to know set goals, win conference, win this week, win this day. To me, this is – Okay, if this is it, all right, let's see what it's like. Let's get a sample size because, to, you know, this afternoon it was reported that they're looking at 16 teams for 2026. Kill me. That's too much. And what it is, it's guys in suits that have figured out a way to put a cash register outside of it and continue to do it, and it's too much. But you get that five seed, Texas will be fits into this thing perfectly because now if they get in that five seed, especially playing in the SEC, that gives them, I think, an advantage, a national advantage. Otherwise, let's go back to BCS. Hell, let's have like three different national titles, whoever the AP says, whoever the UPI says, and then even the coaches. We'll even let the coaches pick one. And no one's going to know after their bowl games. They're not going to know until they're released. And we'll have like a release. <coughs> People, I'm telling you, I I've got lots of these ideas. We should do this. They missed the chance for to, to make it six, and they went from four to twelve. But the, the toothpaste is out of the tube at this point. No, no, nobody's gonna, nobody's gonna be complaining in December when you have football on. Nobody's because I, I, you know, I thought about it. I thought eight would be right. Um, I was even <laughs> fine keeping it at four, but 
you know, that, that fifth spot could be a golden ticket, which might go to the Golden Domer since they don't have a uh, they don't have a conference championship game. Uh, so they, the, the highest they could start is number five. But there's going to be years, you know, there's a possibility uh, that there's going to be the second best team in the country is going to be number five, playing the number 12. And then they get number four, uh, which could be a pretty, pretty poor team. You know, it could be, you know, some team that pulled an upset in, in a conference championship. Uh, so five is not a bad place to be. I think you can argue it round or flat whether or not you want to get that bye week or not uh, or get that, uh, you know, week number four uh, conference champion. Obviously, I think you should just try to win all your games and, and let it play out that way. But, yeah, I could see Texas. You know, Texas loses to Georgia or something. Uh, in the conference championship, they end up number five. That's not the worst worst place to be in the playoffs next year. I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll say this, uh, <laughs> Joe, and this isn't to disagree with the number five thing, but – I wouldn't guess after a few weeks of like I, I just wouldn't put a, put to sleep a week number twelve like Tulane. You know, I'm not saying they should play with you every week, but if you're not good enough to win your conference championship and you have a hungry pout group of five team or just on the right year, you're gonna have somebody gunning for you. Yeah, uh, especially if you're a number five team that's may have lost their conference championship because that, that's possible too, that they may not just have a number five team just waiting there to slide it. Maybe if you lose your conference championship team, you may be the, the, the conference championship game. You may be the team that's slotted at number five playing against a group of five team. It, it is a little bit different. I just, I'm not saying a number 12 team would win, but I, I I'm looking forward to saying, hopefully it's not us, but who's going to be that first upset. Of that number twelve versus five matchup. You know, one of the good. one of the debates we see in baseball all the time is the: Do you want rust or do you want the layoff? And you know, you see a lot of teams that look real rusty. We saw it with the Astros a time or two that look real rusty um, have to come back and, and play their way back into it. But they have more games to uh, to manage their way back with over the the best team is going to win over time. You know, football is just just one one afternoon. Um, so yeah, we'll see. But. I don't know. It's all interesting to me. The the who knows what it's going to look like in a couple of years. Who knows what who knows what the conferences are going to look like in a couple of years. This thing is not close to settling down and and finding a steady state like it had for for so long. Hey, the dot the uh, the Astros may sleep sleepwalk go a, a little bit, but tongue twister. Uh, yeah. But it's the Dodgers that always yeah, bring this up because they keep it out of the division. Clayton around. Kershaw, Clayton Kershaw, oh, man. But one. Eric, I'm glad you brought up the aspect of, you know, come December, we're not going to care when, you know, it's Thursday night and we're watching, I don't know, LSU at Penn State or something like that. Uh, so, Drew, I kind of wanted to get your ideas on the positives that are undeniable about this, and that's the prospect of a home night December postseason game at Daryl K. Royal Texas Memorial Stadium. That type of thing is going to be something – I don't know if there will ever be an atmosphere that can match that in these two years should Texas not win the SEC this year and get slotted as, you know, five, six, seven, or 8. What are your thoughts on just that idea, a home playoff game at DKR? Gosh, man, DKR is already a different animal than it's been in a long, long time. If you went to any home games this year, and unfortunately we didn't play too many night games. Um, you know, we moved to the SEC, so hopefully we get more 3.30, get more 7 o'clock games and some of those 11 o'clock or, you know, noon Eastern starts. But, gosh, man, at night at DKR was a, was a special thing this year. It, it really was. And so the more night games we can get, especially a playoff atmosphere, that is the built-in advantage you get as a number five. 
Drew, you just I mean, you that, that's that's truly what you get if you if you're able to host one of those games, um, and that's what actually is going to make this intriguing and exciting just overall is because it's not at a neutral site. Uh, you get to see teams match up that probably you haven't seen match up before uh, in an environment at home at a stadium. It's just the elements in and of itself are going to be great, but this fan base we need more night games at DKR. This year was electric. Uh, and it's just gonna, it's only going to get better. So um, I'm all for it. Drew, were you at 2008 Missouri? I know you, you know, uh, 2007 was your final season. Were you at the 2008 Missouri game? No, I was not. Okay, that's what <laughs> I'm. That's how I anticipate that uh, that crowd being yeah. uh, for a playoff game. Oh, yeah. yeah. Didn't they go up like 28 to nothing in the first quarter? Taking that lead was a big part of it. Chase Daniel was just like that. Place was wild. Yeah. That was a good team. We can't like that. That was a. I mean, Mizzou was not a bad team, man. But that yeah. that crowd, it, we were they good. The North that year. Being, being as good as we were with that crowd was the difference. Yeah, I think one of the the other great things, and this is kind of tertiary. Hey, man, that's good for the school. You know, you're getting a home gate. You're getting that TV money. Oh. The Austin environment is uh is getting oh. uh, Longhorn City limits. Boys, the men would be coming, man. Come on now, Motown Philly. It's a it's a big it's a big boost for everything. So um, that that's a big reason why you can see, of course, a lot of the schools and even Notre Dame agreed to it because they like the prospects of that extra gate, that extra money, that extra TV aspect heading into December when um, you know basically the big influx doesn't come in until the NCAA tournament. Roaster's got another good comment. And, Drew, this kind of links back to the too-many-day games. I'm hoping the Georgia game is at night. I'm assuming it is. My stepbrother is a UGA grad, so we will all be at that game. Um, obviously, this year the SEC has a, a deal basically exclusively with, e <clears throat> with ESPN. Um, I think they are now able to show the, the ABC Saturday night at 6.30 game uh, and also still have the ESPN at 7 game. And, and Drew, to your point, no more big noon kickoff, and I'm going to miss Joel, and I'm going to miss Gus Johnson, but I'm not going to miss you know the best game of the season, like in 2022, being at uh, the Alabama game, being at 11 a.m., and I think that's another underrated positive of Texas moving to the SEC. Yeah, the, the Georgia thing is, I mean, we play OU the week before that, so. Yeah how can you not be excited about that gauntlet? And I, I've always said, we, you know, we played in the big 12 and I feel like when the big 12 was weak, we were weaker. Uh, when the big 12 was stronger, I feel like we got stronger. We were stronger. When, when, so going to the sec doesn't bother me from that perspective and going through this gauntlet of a season, or just at least that part of the season where we play OU huge game, obviously uh, with Georgia back at home, I think that's that's how you get a guy. That's how you get guys to to be to level up one game after the next. It's not fatigue after OU. It's I'm up for the OU game. Now I'm up for this next game. You get guys dialed in. So, um, it, yeah, this this opportunity we have. Hopefully, we get that game at night. But this at the end of the day, these three thirty games they they usually end up finishing up at night, and the atmosphere in the first quarter is still still electric, especially later in the season once the time changes. Eric, how many games did you uh, get to and, and were able to notice just a difference in how the, the atmosphere is? And especially when that comes to, to recruiting, because selling atmosphere and selling, you know, what you're the place you're playing in 
is a huge aspect in recruiting. And of course, you know, it's what, eight months away. Yeah. We can kind of point to this game being the game they're all going to bring their biggest recruits and targets to. How big does that atmosphere factor in to trying to get the next and the next class signed and committed? Yeah, you really started hearing about it the year before in uh, the 2022 season uh, or 2023 season. Sorry. Uh, they had more night games, I believe, and uh, the crowds were you know, started to get a lot more involved, it seemed. Um, you know, I thought that there were some really enthusiastic crowds. I was in the south end zone a time or two, <laughs> paying as much attention to the game as I could. Uh, it was lively. It was lively. We weren't far from the recruits uh, before the game, and you could tell they were really excited about the stadium expansion and you know, just how lively it is. I think night games are better in general as, for, as far as atmosphere. Um, this year, you know, like, as Drew mentioned, they, they didn't have many night games, and it's unfortunate because they just put in the lights. Remember, they had that one light show. Everybody was excited about it, and then it was just one day game after day game. But I think uh, atmosphere can really work for you. You know, people want to be, especially kids that are, are more focused on a college environment. You know, Austin can have this stigma of not being uh, a college football town to some people, uh, but, you know, especially when they're not playing well. But when Texas is playing well, and the crowds are showing up, you forget that you're in a giant city. You feel like you're in a college town. Uh, so I think, you know, I think, you know, some night games, that Georgia game is going to be, uh, hopefully it's at night, is going to be star-studded, not just with recruits, but, you know, McConaughey and VY, all the guys are going to be, Drew Kelson might be down there. All the guys are going to be on the sidelines for that one. Uh, all that all that goes into the atmosphere, and it, it creates something that, that recruits want to be a part of. It definitely – so even though we're recruiting nationally, like more so than we ever have under Sark, there may be some recruits that are Georgia recruits that probably wouldn't otherwise come to a game in Austin. You have access to those guys now. You can fly them into Austin Bergstrom. They can come to a 7 p.m. game as opposed to a big noon kickoff game. Um, this just there's some built-in advantages that come with some of the home games we want to have access to. Um, I know in the SEC in general, they've been doing this, but this is just another thing that plays plays into our favor. Uh, what, what we're allowed to do now. Uh, having afternoon, later later games, but also with some of the teams we now get to host, we're going to have access to some guys who just, they want to get to Austin for the first time, and a night game gives them more access to do so. Justin, this kind of seems like a thing that now that they're making that move, night games are likely, hey, 11 a.m.s and 2.30s aren't going away, but Texas is is moving to a league where uh, they're, the the night and afternoon time slots, I think, are more plentiful but still, this kind of seems like one of those things where the programs go in the right direction. The facilities and stadiums, save for a practice facility, which isn't part of the game day experience, it's all in a good condition. The team's great. Now you're getting some night kickoffs with a recruiting lounge, all the facilities. It seems like everything's in place to continue some really strong recruiting. Yeah, I mean, you join the SEC, you give DKR all the bells and whistles. The fans have really shown up late. Herman era, early Sark era is when I kind of noticed a, a little bit more of a vibe there. Uh, not so much previous five to seven years. Uh, and so I, I think that's the biggest factor. Just keep winning. If they keep winning, putting on a good performance out there. You know, what was big for them was Alabama two years ago. It really was. You know who were there? Who's there? The, a lot of the core of that 2024 class. That was the first time Kobe Black had ever been to a game in Texas. And he said that that was the only only game he ever attended where he wanted to run down on the field. Like he felt like he was a part of the game. That was an 11 a.m. one or a noon big noon kickoff. And I'm glad that there was no more. I, 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 noon is too early for what we do for a living. Even if you if I was a fan, noon would be fine. We work. We're working. 
I am not trying to get up at six o'clock to prep all this stuff. And then the seven o'clock ones, those are prime because we get to watch college football all day. Fans get to watch college football all day. You get two sections of games, some good games in that inner in that 230 slot. You get all slobbered up, you get fed, and then you get rowdy. And that's why I think Texas will be just fine. You know, this stadium has been better. The fans have been better since Sark arrived. And maybe it's because they've won more. That, that That's only natural. But I can tell, you know, from me covering games and attending games over the last 30 years, the first year of Sark, those fans really kept coming, I felt like. The stadium did not sound as good as it could outside of a few games. 2016 Notre Dame, that opening, that opening night game, which was unreal. Uh, you know, outside of West Virginia 2012, and that was a loss, but that was an incredible atmosphere as well. The Geno Smith, you know, tug of war. Um, Texas just has to win. That's all they have to do. And they've got all the bells and whistles. They've got everything they need. They've got Chris Del Conte. They've got Bevo Boulevard. And they've got a great quarterback, a great backup quarterback, and a hell of a roster to, to root for. What's that Justin, old phrase? We with you, Justin? Sir? Should we tailgate with you? Sounds, sounds like we need to tailgate with you. I don't even get to tailgate. I want to tailgate. I would love to tailgate. The best, hey, the best, the best week of the year is the bye week. I get to watch college football and not worry about board yes. meltdowns. Even yes. when they win, yes. they didn't win good enough. Uh, I love you know, bye have week. to deal with any of that. So yeah, the bye week, especially a playoff bye week. Oh man, if we have that, it's going to be the best week of the year. Eric, guess what? Week. There are two this year. Yeah, I saw that. I cannot wait. I cannot I, wait. I, I, Hey, Eric, I can guarantee you one of them, Joe's going to be at a wedding for one of them on God. Oh, it won't be a bye week. It won't be a bye week. It'll be something else. It'll be OU. Um, It'll be freaking OU. I can't wait till he's past the wedding wedding friend stage. Yeah. He's got a great question. When he he finally buys a house, too, the dude has moved 15 times since he's worked at Inside Texas. Eric, be honest with him. Drew, too. He is a great, he's a good friend. We can tell because of all the wedding. But you know what, Joe, you're not doing? You're not talking to your friends and giving them sense. How are you letting all these damn friends get married? You mm. jokers are in your mid-20s, late 20s. Are you out of your mind? You've got to give these people better advice, Joe. You want to be a real friend, yeah. tell them the truth. I'll give them your number. Uh does <laughs> Garrett, he's got, does Garrett's got a really good question. Eric and Justin, what you take one, Eric, and I'll get one. What recruit from Houston do you think Texas has to have? Eric, you've talked a lot about how Houston is kind of on an up cycle as far as talent goes. There's opportunity there with AM being on a new coach and uh, Texas having a good pitch to sell, obviously, in the Houston area. Yeah, three jumps to mine. I'll only say one, uh, and I'm probably forgetting somebody that probably makes should, – should I extend the, the list of four? Uh, but I'll go Dorian Brew out of Conroe. We're going to count Conroe as part of Houston. It's all concrete from downtown to Conroe anyway. Um, you know, I don't know if he's going to stick at corner, but Texas needs any sorts of defensive backs, no matter if they're nickels or safety. You know, he's going to run 10-5 this year. He's already 6'2", 200. Big kid. He'll he'll, he'll mix it up. Um, was originally uh, – as, as he originally burst on the scene as a recruit as a wide receiver, so you know he's got good ball skills for the secondary. Uh, yeah, g- give me uh, Dorian Brew as the must-get. But there's a, there's two more I can make a credible argument for, maybe even more. Yeah, uh, it- <clears throat> If, and I'll, I'll counter Eric's brew. If you don't get a brew, you got to get Kobe Sellers. You've got to. The Alvin Shadow Creek DB, 
Georgia just recently offered. They're in the mix. They're, this guy's got his choice. OU's got a good uh, a good relationship with him there. Texas needs, needs, needs to win this battle. You're talking about a really good athlete, really smart kid from a really good family. This is a, this kid was a state champion quarterback at the TAPS level before he even played corner in high school. And so I, I'm a big Sellers fan. I, I was going to go to <coughs> Townsend. The tight end on a spring to Caney, I think that's another one that should be in the mix. But as soon as Eric dropped Dorian Brew, I thought, man, if you can't get one A, you need to get one B. Yeah, and I think they're independent of each other. I think they need both because Sellers is the lead corner. He's he's going to play yeah. corner throughout his whole career. He's not mm-hmm. going to move anywhere. Perfect corner build, perfect corner skills. And then I, Nick Townsend is the third one. You know they've got to get one of one of Nick Townsend and Keati Armstrong out of Jasper, yes. um, and so yeah. But Houston is loaded. Dez is from Mo City over there. Uh, hopefully, hey, you did. hopefully he's a street military fan. Um, Caleb Chester, they're after Caleb Chester, um, and you know I think they've got a good chance with Chester. Chester is uh, his mom is a nurse practitioner. His dad is a is a radiologist. These are the sorts of people that are going to probably put a priority on on education. That always plays well into Texas's hands. I think uh, and Texas is gonna 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 push for Chester. They're they're recruiting him hard. Um, I think he's gonna he's already got his official visit. Um, so yeah, his official visit is first weekend of June. I know a lot about street military, buddy. I, so I'm gonna keep the I'm gonna keep the corner theme going. We've talked about Dorian Brew. I think he's one of the best in the country. Caleb Chester, you put that guy face up on someone and he's not getting away. But what about Devin Sanchez? And if y'all watch the not happening. The state championship is just not even worth having the conversation. I mean, I, we should cut you off like LC does Ian at the end of the uh, Monday live streams. <laughs> it's just not happening. That's not happening. It's going to be Ohio State. Maybe somebody, uh, you know, maybe somebody makes a, a late run. I don't think it's going to be Texas. I, I just don't see it happening at this point. I did a lot of homework on that in the last couple of days, and I'm not seeing it. The worst part is he might be the best player in the state. The worst part mm-hmm. is he's going to be a lottery pick when he's a junior. He's going that to NBA. Kid, that's huh? Derek, Derek Stingley Jr. That kid is going to play as a freshman in college. He's going to play well. He's going to get drafted to, pro, to probably a terrible team. He's going to get paid. I'm going to have his rookie card. I can see it. Yeah, we'll see. He's, he's definitely he's wildly talented. Uh, he's going to put up some, some uh, good sprint numbers on the track in the next few months. He's 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 definitely definitely talented. I guess this, we just we just named a bunch of corners. Uh, as far as offense goes, there's obviously obviously some great receivers uh, in the Houston area, but I think there's also some really good offensive linemen who could uh, that Texas needs to to be in on. And Eric, I think you called them the the big three, and one of those big three is from from the Houston area, correct? Wrong. The big three is uh, Lamont Rogers from Mesquite. Uh, you've got Ty Haywood from Denton, and you've got. Michael Fasusi from Louisville, who is going to visit in the spring. I think Justin broke that April, April 9th or something like that. Jonte Newman is just on the outside from Bridgeland. Uh, Bridgeland has a fantastic set of tackles. If there's a better set of tackles in the country, I'd be surprised, even though they're both rated high three stars. Uh, Jonte Newman, I, you know, I think uh, OU is pushing very hard. Uh, they got his teammate committed, Ryan Foji. Uh, he's originally from uh, Mississippi. Ole Miss is going to be a factor. AM is going to be a factor. But man, if they got if they got Fasusi and Jonte Newman, I would be very excited at at tackle. Fasusi, Justin, do you have an Newman. offensive guy from Houston? Uh man, I was just I was caught up in Eric's. Well, you said world. Townsend. Uh, yeah, I, I like Nick Townsend. I, I think you got to get one of him or Keati Armstrong. I was texting with Armstrong earlier. He's on his way to a baseball tournament. 
so that to give you an idea of that six foot five, 246 pound four stars playing baseball and he hits bombs. You got to get one of those guys. Nick Townsend out of Spring DeCaney, just a big, big athlete who I think is already a natural blocker, already aggressive, already can do both inline and flex. Keati's just that big monster kid that you create on Madden uh, or on NCAA. Yeah, this was about Houston, man. If we, were, if if we, were, if he was part of Houston, it wouldn't take me two hours and twenty minutes to get to his practice at seven thirty in the morning. We got a. Uh... Dickinson, J.W. Crunch, who's he talking about? Tyler, Tyler Thomas. Thomas. Tyler he's Thomas. coming in on for, uh, in April. Uh, he, he's scheduled an official, I think, to Baylor in June. I don't know if he's scheduled one to Texas yet. I think he's that tackle in the next tier of those guys. Uh, but I would hard. actually – I think Texas looks better for him than they do for Lamont Rogers. And we had somebody on here from PNG. Was that Roaster from PNG? Uh, yeah. They've got Jackson Christian, the offensive lineman. Can't quite call that Houston. That's you know that's that's Golden Triangle. But um, yeah, Jackson Christian is, is another one. There's man, I like we like we talk about it every week. There's a lot of good offensive linemen in the state this year. Uh, it's gonna it should be a good cycle for Kyle Flood. That should be a good springboard into some of the the confirmed spring visitors we have. Uh, we're, we're keeping a great list over on Inside Texas about guys who are going to be making their way through the spring. And uh, Eric, I messed up on this one. I haven't put put it on the board yet, and I may do that while I'm giving you the the chance to talk about uh, Michael Terry the third, who is going to be. You told Inside Texas earlier today, heading in for the spring game. Uh, Kind of a guy who is extremely athletic, extremely high rated. He's the number 49 athlete in the country. But at the same time, maybe he's a, a little bit between positions as well. Yeah, you know, I need to I need to get to know him better um, and do some more research on him. You know, if, if he has the the mental, uh, the, the want to, the disposition to play defense, I think defense is probably his best position. Uh, I think he could play college running back. Don't get me wrong. I'm not sure he's going to separate at wide receiver. Uh, certainly he wouldn't want to grow into an H-back. Nobody wants to do that intentionally, uh, unfortunately, even though I love that position. Uh, maybe running back, but I really think maybe a jumbo safety or you know potentially a linebacker. But, yeah, it's, 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 he's a hard one for me to, to project. Uh, obviously, he's a talented kid. He can do a little bit of everything out on the football field. But, uh, you know, they don't, there's no athlete position in college. you gotta, you got you to pick something uh, and learn that position. And I'm not exactly sure where he's going to end up. But, yeah, it'll be interesting to play out, see play out. He definitely likes Texas. Carson Smith says that Brandon Harris just tweeted out a checkers board. Man, that could mean anything. Yeah. Justin, which assistant talks to oh, him? It's, it's Chris Gilbert. It's Chris Gilbert because Brandon – never mind. Go ahead, Joe. Which which assistant talks to, to Michael Terry the most? That's always a little bit indicative. Tashar Choice was one of them. You know, we saw him after junior day, and I talked to him a little bit before that. Um, you know, he – Tashar Choice was the main guy, but you know, after talking to sources there, I don't think Texas views him at running back. That was just the connection at the moment. I think he's he's in that athlete category. If he would be open to playing defense, I think Texas would probably take him in a hurry. Uh, but right now, we he's kind of. We, we should have Drew look at his tape because there's one it's person tough. on the panel that played linebacker, safety, and running back at Texas. It, it, you you see an athlete like him, and it's like, where can he be elite? Yeah, um, you see a lot of places where he can be good enough. It's like, where can he be elite? And you don't want to waste the player's time in one position when he can be great in another one. So I, I really think for his own personal recruitment, it really comes down to how great does he think he can be at a position, but how well can a program convince him that he'll be great at a position? I mean, at 6 3 two, 10, if he can run, it sounds like a great big body to play receiver. If he can play that side of the ball. There's explosiveness. There's all these other things that go into being a receiver and a quality receiver. 
But beyond that, you know, it's, it's if he's playing defense, how well does he move? Does he want to put on weight? Does he want to play? I mean, we've seen a 6'3", 6'2", corner play for us. I mean, we've seen guys play in different positions. It, it's, it's really hard to project a kid like this, as talented as he is. You, you just really have to have a solid game plan that you're willing to, to, to commit to with him. I, I haven't seen him up close. Joe, George, Justin, do you guys have an idea how much he's going to weigh just if he you know, just puts in you know average work? He's got a great frame for 230, 235, in my opinion. I oh, think he could be an outside yeah, linebacker. He's not going to play safety. He's not going to play wide receiver. So uh, maybe they could, maybe, you yeah, know, maybe, maybe running back. He, he looks pretty good at running back. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. But I think Drew hit on it. You know, what, what position does he want to play? And then what recruiting staff is going to play that up? AJ XOXO rewind back about seven or eight minutes, maybe even less. Uh, and we talked about Dorian Brew. Uh, yeah, he's high on Texas. I think Texas is in a good spot. Texas, LSU, Ohio State, he's going to end up at one of those three. Um, you know, that's, you know, it's got a long way to play out, though. But I think Texas is, is uh, has done a good job of, of making up ground in the last uh, month or two. Trying to see uh, some of the other big visitors that we need to to, to discuss. I know we touched on Michael Fasusi, um as part of the big three. Uh, but, Justin, it seems like he's – Texas is going to be in a dogfight with, with a bunch of power programs for – for Michael Fasusi, but they're still going to get him on campus this spring and uh, be in that recruitment for a long time. Yeah, I think that's going to come down to Texas, Oklahoma, and probably Missouri slash Texas A&M. He absolutely loved the Mizzou visit. Oklahoma's built the longest relationship the best. They're really close with his father. Texas has done similarly the same. They offered early as well. Uh, the big thing for me is, you know, we had reported even a couple of weeks ago from Fasusi that he was going to be in on the spring. To me, the big question is, Who's who we don't know yet is going to be here in the spring, especially for the spring game. To me, DeCorey and Moore is the biggest question. I, I think that's what fans, I, you know, they want to know if that guy's going to make in that, that spring trip that he was supposed to be rescheduling or if he's going to be so strict with 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 track. To me, that's a big question mark there. Is he going to be in? When are some more of these modern day guys going to make a trek over, you know, for sure? We know Marcus Harris has an official visit. Is he, you know, is, is him and Jordan Davison going to be able to make it to the spring game? So some of those guys like Fasusi, we had already mentioned and reported a few times. I'm really curious about some of these other big names on the board. Well, you just, you just when they get them in. You unearthed one today. You unearthed a big name today. More and more are going to come out. The the wide receiver from St. Louis. That's yeah. The, oh yeah, <laughs> Corey Sims. It feels like. They're getting more and more of these receivers that are popping up nationally. Uh, Dallas Wilson is one that we reported on a couple of weeks ago. The Tampa, a kid out of uh, Oregon, commit down in Florida. Uh, that's another one to monitor. Chris Henry Jr., twenty twenty six out of modern day, which was just offered earlier today. You know, obviously the son of, of NFL wide receiver Chris Henry. Um, that wide receiver board is fluid, whereas the running back board is very straight and. And, and rarely yeah. narrow, the wide receiver board seems to be growing. I think it's a three, possibly four receiver take class in 2025. And I think uh, either Marcus Harris or Andrew Marsh will be your 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 your, your floor. Another another big one that uh, was confirmed today by Justin, yourself, and I think on three as well is is Riley Pettyjohn, uh, the McKinney linebacker. We had a feeling he was. We knew that he was going to be uh, heading to Austin sometimes this spring. We didn't know what the date was. Now we have found out that uh, he will be making it to Texas for the spring game. Eric, we always kind of talk about scarcity with certain positions and kind of increasingly so linebackers becoming more and more scarce and athletes like Pettijohn aren't playing the position. He's doing it for McKinney and it's kind of one of those, mu not must get, because I know that's a certain term, but 
extreme priority prospects at the position in the state. Yeah, he might be in that must get category because he does have that those rare athletic traits, but I think he sees the game pretty well too. A lot of the, the high level athletes at linebacker you see aren't always the great process don't always have the best processors. They don't they don't diagnose as quickly as you like. A lot of those guys play on the edge uh, where you know they can they can make more of an impact on the game as far as getting after the pass rusher shut down one side of the field. Um, but I think he's got off ball skills and he's, he's a hell of an athlete. Uh, maybe he's in a musket. You know, they, they need some good linebackers. They only took one last year. was a good one, a very underrated one, and Ty Anthony uh, Smith, who I think is similar to Pettijohn, actually. Um, but, yeah, you know, that's – I think Texas is in a good spot for him. A&M is trying to make up as much ground as they can. I tend to think he's going to stay inside in, in state, and uh, I agree with those who believe he'll end up at Texas. So it looks like, uh, as our buddy Chris Bennett just said, the orange-white game will be at one PM. So that's going to help Texas have a little bit of time, I think, to have a little bit of recruiting and talk before. Obviously, showcase the the scrimmage, which as long as nobody gets injured, is a win for the Longhorns. Get done around four, and then that's a lot of recruiting time uh, for Steve Sarkeesian and company to make use of. One question from Roaster: Are Pettijohn's measurables comparable to Hill? Justin, you know you know about the Anthony Hill recruitment. What do you think about that one? Yeah, um, I really like Pettijohn. I think he might be a hair taller than Anthony Hill is or was. Um, uh, but you know, they're they're very they're similar in that they're both natural good athletes. They're both aggressive. They both shoot gaps. They both they they know how to shake blocks. Like they know the basics. Anthony was a little further along, in my opinion, whereas, you know, Riley to me is more of a traditional throwback. Anthony was also playing running back for, you know, 40, 50 snaps a game for Riley. Yeah, right. He was playing both ways uh, by, by his junior and senior year. And so I, Anthony was also more filled out. Yeah. Riley has the frame, but he's he needs a, some more work in the weight room. I think he's probably 15, 20 pounds smaller than what Hill was as a junior and a senior. So, I mean, they're comparable in talent and skills, but I think Anthony was a little bit bigger, a little bit more athletic, more versatile, whereas Riley's a little bit more of a throwback and almost a little bit more wiry and also taller. Guys, I think that's about 55 minutes worth of action. A lot of great discussion, recruiting, some hypotheticals on the playoffs, some talks about the spring game and culture. Always a fun time on Wednesday night. Justin, Eric, Drew, thank you all so much. Make sure you like this video, subscribe to the channel. Helps us a ton. Head to Inside Texas. You can get one month of access for $1. That'll get you right up to the beginning of spring football. We're going to have a lot of great breakdowns over on Inside Texas. So, guys, thank you all so much. We look forward to seeing you all next Monday, next Wednesday, and, and daily on the Inside Texas Football YouTube channel. Thanks again. We'll see you next time.